So we've been talking a lot about the challenge in scripture, to not sit back and pass judgment on one another for the sins that we struggle with, but to get in the fight for people and help them to overcome that struggle to sin. But what does it actually look like to do that? What does helping really look like? How do we help each other take the speck out of our brother's eye? How do we actually do that? Today, we're gonna to take a look at a picture that's illustrated for us in the scriptures and the lessons that we can learn from it. Hi, I'm Joseph Walter, and this is Loving Theology. So what do we do whenever we see someone struggling with sin? We've seen in this series, the lessons from Matthew 7, where Jesus taught us that, first of all, we don't pass judgment on one another, that that's not what we're supposed to do, that we don't sit back and condemn one another for the sins that we're struggling with. But Jesus went further. He didn't simply tell us what not to do. He told us what to do. And, it, and what he said was that we were called to help one another, to get in the fight for people, to help them by removing the speck from their eye because it's causing them pain. And we saw in that, in that passage that the first step in that process is that we need to remove the log from our own eyes so that we can see clearly. And we saw what that means. We also saw that we have to develop a heart to help them, that we can't have um, a desire to pass judgment or to puff ourselves up, but we have to start from a place of a desire to help them. Now, last time we saw the way that Jesus demonstrated this throughout his life by relying on the Father's judgment to be able to see things clearly in order to accomplish his purpose. And what's more is that we saw his purpose wasn't to condemn us, wasn't to judge us, but it was to save us. And that the way that he expressed judgment, the way that he used God's judgment was with a heart to help us, a heart to save us. And we know that we're supposed to follow that example, but what exactly does that look like? How do we know actually what we're supposed to do? And, and also the other question that we haven't asked is, how does, this, how does this differ between the way that we're supposed to do it with believers and unbelievers? Is there a difference and how do we wrap our heads around that? First, I wanna start with that first question of what does this really look like? And I think that Jesus gave us a wonderful illustration of it out of John 13. Now, John 13 is the story where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And we won't really talk that much about the context here, but there's another, there's another post that I have where we talk about the context and the way that this demonstrates Jesus' love for us and the fact that he was serving us like this while he was going to the cross. It talked to, in, in, that series, in that post, it talked about how he loved at his arrest. I'll put a link for that below in case that's something that you wanna read a little bit more about. But for our purposes here, let me start by reading a passage out of John 13, starting in verse eight. It says that Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so what Jesus is doing here is obviously he's not just teaching us about a physical bath. He's, he's using that to teach us something spiritually. And what he's teaching us about is salvation and sanctification. That's why he says, um, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And how true is that? That if Jesus does not cleanse us of our sin, if Jesus doesn't wash us, then we have no salvation. That Jesus is who we depend on to be cleansed of sin and to be saved. That he is the one who saves us from our sin. And also notice the way that he talks about Peter, who's a believer and the way that he talks about Judas, who wasn't a believer, because he knew that he would betray him. And talking about Peter, he says that he is already clean. In other words, he's cleansed of his sins, that he's already taken a bath, that he's been baptized, so to speak. But then whenever he talks about Judas, he says, not all of you are clean. And so there's this difference between the believer and the unbeliever, and that's how we know that he's tying in salvation here. But he still talks to Peter, who is a believer, who he says is clean, and says, except for your feet, 
Your feet still need to be washed. I still need to do this for you in order for you to have a part with me. What he's talking about here is the process of sanctification. That, you know, we, we live as Christians and we have that moment of salvation, but then we still sin sometimes. We still get our feet dirty in this world. And we still need to go back to Jesus to have him wash our feet. He's describing this process of sanctification. And there's a verse in Ephesians, um, it's chapter 5, verse 26, 26, where Jesus describes the same thing in, in his role in sanctifying the church. It says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So really what Jesus is focusing in here on, on specifically in washing their feet is on the process of sanctification, of dealing with the sins that crop up after that moment of salvation. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't just stop there. A little later, he tells us to follow his example, to do the exact same thing. He says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And, and what that teaches us then is that this responsibility for sanctification, this responsibility to help our brother to wash their feet, to work through the sins that come up after salvation, and to cleanse our feet, to wash us again, is something that he does for us, but it's also something that he wants us to do for one another. And in this, I hope that you can hear the echoes of what we saw out of Matthew 7, that we aren't called to judge one another for the sins that we struggle with, but we also aren't called to simply leave each other in those sins either. We are called instead to get in the fight, to help one another to wash each other of those sins, to help cleanse one another and help each other walk down that road of sanctification because we know that we need help. We get that help from Jesus, but we also get it from our fellow believers. So there's a responsibility here that we take that we join in with Jesus in helping to sanctify our brothers and helping to be sanctified. Now I have another post where I talk about the same concept where we've received something from God and God then asks us to do the same thing for one another. And in that post, we talk about forgiveness and the way that we have received forgiveness from the Father, and then that he asks us to pay that forgiveness forward, to pay it forward to one another and forgive one another of the trespasses that they've, the sins that they've done against us. And I'll put a link for that below where we talk about his forgiveness, pay it forward, in case you wanna check that out. What I love about this picture most of all is the way that it describes something that we would want, something that we would desire, not something that we would fear. You know, if you think about washing somebody's feet, you think about, you know, some, if Jesus offered to wash my feet or somebody else offered to wash my feet, I would think about it as them trying to serve me and them trying to love me. And, and what I love is that Jesus uses that picture, something that we would want, something that we would desire, something we might even ask for, as a description for helping each other overcome our sins. And so something that we would originally think of as, you know, something we wouldn't want, something that we maybe even would be a little bit afraid of, having somebody confront us on sin or, or help us work through sin is described as something that is serving, something that's loving, something that's kind. And we saw that the only way that we do that is that we rely on God's help to, God's uh, help to be able to help one another. And as we do that, then we're able to have this heart of love and a desire to help just like God has for us. And we move from something that we fear to something that we would desire to receive in return. And so that passage in Matthew 7 verse 2 where it says, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That goes from something that, that sounds a lot like a warning to something that actually sounds like a blessing. That whenever we judge like God does, that whenever we use his judgment to love one another and to help each other overcome sins and, and to serve one another, 
to where we're washing each other's feet, then God promises to wash our feet as well. That he will serve us in that same way. And that's, that's a kind of judgment that we actually desire. That's the kind of help that we actually want. So we have this promise then that, that God will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. And in that way, we can enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's Hebrews 12, 11. So we have this promise then in scripture that if we love in this way, if we serve in this way, that Jesus will also wash our feet. He will help to remove the log from our eye. That help, he'll help to cleanse us from the sin that we struggle with and that's causing such pain in our lives. And that's, that's something that I think that we can desire. We go from something that, that we wish that we didn't have to experience, you know, having our sin exposed and dealt with, to something that we actually desire, something that we want to be clean, to be washed, to get rid of the dirt of this world. And, and here's the thing, is that you have to understand we don't just get bathed once. That's the other thing that this teaches us. But that this is something that we're going to have to do over and over again throughout our lives. That we're going to keep on getting our feet dirty because we're, we're still in this world. But Jesus is faithful to continually wash us. And it's something that we can seek. That if we want to be free from that pain of sin, we can seek to have him wash our feet. Okay, so inviting God's judgment at first glance doesn't sound all that appealing. It doesn't sound like something that we would want. We don't want God to look at us and to see our sin and to deal with it. We'd rather just sort of be left alone. But whenever we see it through this light, whenever we see it in this context with this illustration of washing each other's feet, of having Jesus wash our feet, it becomes something that's desirable. And in that way, we've become teachable. And David demonstrated what it means to be teachable whenever he said, search me and know me, to find any grievous way in me. That's Psalms 139. To teach me the way everlasting. That he wanted God to search him and know him, to help to cleanse his feet. He was basically asking for Jesus to wash his feet back in the Old Testament. And whenever we're teachable like this, it takes something that would otherwise be a warning, otherwise be undesirable. And it turns, the, it turns it into a blessing. We're able to see it for what it really is, the blessing of sanctification, the blessing of the process by which Jesus cleanses us. Then we're able to look at God's judgment, which is a kind judgment, a loving judgment, a judgment that is there to help us, to cleanse us of things that are hurting us. And we, go we say genuinely, sign me up. That's what I want. I want to be cleansed of this. I want to feel this freedom. I, want to, I don't want to have my feet dirty for the rest of my life. And, and what I want us to do is to have that same attitude of being teachable whenever other people approach us and confront us on sin in our own lives. I want us to have this attitude of openness, of receiving it, of looking for ways for them to wash our feet, of receiving them washing our feet. Because it really is a service to us. And whenever Jesus does it to us, the same thing that we want to be receptive to that, that we want to let Jesus wash our feet, that we want to open the dialogue with God, show me where I'm sinful, help me to see it, help me to be cleansed of this. But the other thing is that I want us to do that for others as well. And when we think about fellow believers, that we think about, and we think about the sin that they're in, that we find ways to help them overcome that sin, that we don't just confront them with this goal of putting them in their place or showing them how they're hurting us, but we're doing it for them. It may not even be a sin that's bothering us. That doesn't matter. It's a sin that's hurting them. So we're supposed to take this attitude of service, this attitude of washing feet into the area of correction and exhortation. It's not an area where it's meant to be a harsh thing, but it's something that's gentle, something that's loving, something that has a heart to help.
Now, as you think about, you know, the, the process of, of engaging with God in that in your own walk, sometimes it can be challenging because sometimes it's hard to really have a conversation with God, to really feel like you can talk to him, express what's on your heart, to ask him to search you and know you and to hear his answer, to hear him um, teaching you and showing you where you're struggling and how you can overcome that. So we've got another series where we've called Talking with God, where we talk about how do we actually have a conversation with God. In case that's something that would be helpful to you, I'll put a link for that below. Okay, now the, the question that we haven't answered at this point though is who are we supposed to be doing this for? Are we supposed to be washing everyone's feet? Whose feet are we supposed to be washing? And if we take a look at the story of washing each other's feet, it says in talking to the disciples, Jesus said that you're supposed to wash one another's feet. And if we take a look at the story that we talked about from Matthew 7, where he's talking about removing the speck, he says, remove the speck from your brother's eye. And there's an emphasis over and over on your brother, one another. And really what Jesus is describing here is that this is a process that we're supposed to go through for believers. But what does that mean about unbelievers? Are we not supposed to help them as well with issues of sin? Of course we are. Of course we're called to help unbelievers as well. But the real key difference here is the way that we help them. Whereas with believers, we can, we can go through this process of helping them with sanctification, of helping them work through issues of righteousness and to wash their feet and help them see what they're going through and see how it's hurting them. With unbelievers, the focus is first and foremost on the issue of salvation, not on the issue of sanctification. You see, we know that knowledge of the law does not produce righteousness. I mean, even if somebody accepts the law and believes the law, that's not gonna produce righteousness because it's only faith in Jesus that actually transforms our heart. He's the one who really does the work of salvation. And, and so maybe, you know, in talking to an unbeliever, maybe you're able to even convince them of what's right and what's wrong and why it's right and wrong. But without faith in Jesus, there is no real change. That the power doesn't come from knowing what's right and wrong. The power doesn't come from the law, in other words. The power from, comes from believing from faith in Jesus. Let me maybe use an analogy to demonstrate it. Whenever Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he, he first raised him from the dead, and then he commanded them to take off the grave clothes. You see, in the same way that it, it doesn't really make any sense to take grave clothes off somebody who's still dead, it doesn't make any sense to deal with the acts of sin from someone who doesn't have faith in Jesus. That until they have faith in Jesus, there is no power to really be able to raise them from the dead. And then, yeah, you don't want them to stay in stinky grave clothes. You want to help work them through those issues of righteousness. That's what this process of washing each other's feet looks like. But first and foremost, it comes to that personal introduction to Jesus. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was describing in 1 Corinthians 5.12. He said, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And again, we've understood what that word judge means there, that we're talking about right judgment, that we're talking about the kind of judgment that looks like washing each other's feet, of helping each other to confront and overcome the sin that we struggle with and the way that that is actually loving. But that is meant for those who are inside the church. That's meant for those who are our fellow believers. So what do we do then with, outs with those outside the church, with unbelievers? Well, first of all, what I want us to get is that whenever we see unbelievers sinning, that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, if you think about it, we as believers struggle to do what Christ asks us to do, and we have his help. So in no way should it surprise us when we see unbelievers not doing things that believers are supposed to do. That's not surprising. And maybe even more to the point, it's not offensive either. I don't want us to be offended. Whenever we see the world sinning, we shouldn't be offended. We shouldn't be surprised. 
we should still have a heart to help. But the way that we help there is not by confronting them and correcting them on issues of sin. We don't help them by condemning them about the sin that they're struggling with. Because there's, there's no power in that. There's no power in knowing the right from wrong. There's no power in knowing the law. The power comes from knowing Jesus. Now, of course, as we work through that process, there's a place to share our own testimony, to share the way that, that Christ has brought peace in our life, to share the way that sin has caused damage in our past, that sins, the sin that we still struggle with causes damage for us now, and the way that Jesus has helped us with that, and the way that that has brought peace and joy to us. There's absolutely truth that I want us to share in that process. But that's not the same thing as focusing on just what they're doing wrong and why they need to stop it and trying to convince them from the scriptures because they don't even believe in the scriptures. You see, the only way that we can really be helpful is not by confronting them on issues of righteousness, but by hopefully lighting the way to a personal introduction to Jesus. That's how we're helpful there. I appreciate you spending time with us today. I hope that this was helpful to you. Thank you.